This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Chapter Tactics, your 40k podcast, which focuses on playing warmer 40k competitively at all levels of the game. I'm your host, Petey Pop, and today I am going to be talking about Warzone Atlanta with the one, the only, Val Heffelfinger. He is an orc player. He got third best overall and ninth uh, ninth place in battle sc- battle points at the event, uh, which is actually very impressive considering he went 4-1, and one, and his only loss was to the person who won best overall and got third place in battle points last year. So that's that's going to be Mr. Mike Twitchell uh, who went who went got third place third best battle points with the Townar Supremacy suit. If you guys actually want to listen to that podcast, this is exactly 1 year ago from today, the Warzone Atlanta tournament results. I do talk about it. There's a lot of Townar Supremacy talk if you're into a little bit of 7th edition nostalgia, which is probably not something people do very often because it's not a very popular edition. But the Talonar Supremacy suit was a big deal this time last year. Lords of War were a big deal. And then, of course, we were dealing with the new Magnus and all the Raging Silver Colt. Anyways, if you guys want to listen to that, you guys can go ahead and go into frontlinegaming.org, click on any of my episodes, and you can, in the show notes, find a link to an archive of every single episode of Chapter Tactics. So if you guys didn't know that, there it is. Anyways, guys, it's going to be a short episode today, so without further ado, I'm going to jump right into Warzone Atlanta results with Val Heffelfinger. If you would like to follow along and look at the lists and look at the results, you can head over to warzoneatlanta.com where you can find the lists for any of the winning any of the winning names. There will be names with battle score, uh, best general results, and best overall results released by the Warzone Atlanta crew in a few days, so keep an eye out for that, and as soon as that pops up, I'll give you guys a more brief rundown of the tournament results, but as it stands right now the tournament did just end and i don't have the full story yet so val's gonna tell you guys all about it and tell you how you can do well with orcs because going four and one with orcs and potentially winning going five and oh with orcs is very 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 impressive and if val had won he definitely would have won best overall and obviously would probably would have been first or second battle points as well so that's impressive thank you guys hey guys we're back with the one the only val heffelfinger Green skin extraordinaire, the hey, best yeah. arc player of the weekend. For those of you who don't know, Val was on a few weeks ago for the post Iron Halo episode. Uh, it was a good episode. It was a good time. Uh, Val, say hi to everyone. Welcome back. Hello. Why, hello, everyone. Thank you for having me back to the podcast, uh, Mr. Pablo. All right. So, Val is in the middle of an eight hour drive to get home to his warm, lovely bed in Canada, which is a bit of an oxymoron, but that's, we're going to go That's actually that. not true. I, I'm going to interrupt you, actually. I'm driving further away from home to, to Naples, Florida, where I will then fly home after dropping off my in-laws' car. I see. But there's still no such thing as a warm bed in Canada. Uh, well, we're working on heating, you know, <laughs> uh, it includes... Igloos do provide, you know, some insulation. It's pretty cool. Yeah, there's there's still, you know, there's Eskimo and stuff over there, right? That's Canada. Right? Yeah, we like to say Inuit. 
you know, Eskimo <laughs> just means eater of raw meat. It's kind of a, you know, passe term now, bad luck. Oh, well, I mean, you know, I, I wasn't using it in a derogatory way. I, I'm an eater right. of raw meat. I eat sushi on the regular. That's true. So, something you Canadians don't know. So, so, so those of you who don't, for, for those of you Canadians who don't know, sushi is this dish where there is raw fish wrapped inside of a rice roll wrap and seaweed, dried up seaweed. Oh. And there's See, usually where I'm like, from, sushi, where I'm from is, uh, is actually just a salmon you rip from a bear's mouth. <laughs> so, That's, anyways, uh, so, uh, just so you guys know, he is Val is driving back back to Florida to go home to his warm, comfy bed. So if you guys hear a horn blaring, you know he he's an orc player. So I imagine he's driving a trash heap up eight hours to Florida. So there's probably a lot of <laughs> rattling and 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 smoke spewing and wawing occasionally. Right. Um, but if Val believes he'll get there, he'll get there. And if you guys hear something in the background, freeway noise or whatever, sorry. But I think it's worth it to hear the best orc player of the weekend tell all what of bank? the other orc players what gifts. Because Val not only played orcs at one of the largest events of at the of the end of the year, definitely one of the largest events in November, but he played the person who won best overall last year, who was no slouch. He didn't just win best overall. He got third best battle points. Which is which is yeah. best overall plus third best battle points. I think he might have it was it was Justin Curtis and then Brett Perkins and uh, Mike or Mitchell, sorry. Yeah. Um, Mike Mitchell is a saint and uh, a really good player. He's yes. a really good guy. Yeah. yeah. So this year Val won best sports. I did. Yeah, which is which is typical orc player. They're always shoe ins for best sportsmanship. Uh, I I don't think I've ever met an orc player I didn't like. I've met Tau players I don't like. Um, I've met Eldar players I didn't like. I've met Space Marine players I didn't like. Um, but well, there's, two, there's two, two things that play here, Pablo. One, everyone loves an underdog. And two, I brought duty-free maple syrup, <laughs> a nice Canadian maple leaf-shaped bottle that I handed off to every opponent. Oh, my God. And, uh, and you know, I don't want to say that may have influenced the voting, but perhaps it might have had something to do. <laughs> That's, I think I'm going to do that. Last year at the BAO, the guy who brought Swedish fish for his opponent and used them to count wounds and stuff on his things, and he would just eat them as they would go on and offered them to his opponent. He won best sports last year. So I think there's a trend going on. If you give your opponent stuff, I, I know Brian Hunter from That's the Flying the Monkeys podcast. Gross and creative. Oh, my God. The Swedish fish are amazing. Uh, and then Brian Hunter gave all of his oh. opponents a cigar at the Iron Halo. Uh, which is yeah. So guys, if you this is a competitive 40k podcast. So if you are looking to win at an event, best sportsmanship, there's a pro tip right there. You got to give your opponent something. Give them something. So, yeah, give them something. Yeah. And don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. It's also helpful. Yeah. That's that's two two life lessons. Boom. Podcast over. You guys got your pro tip. Just joking. So. The reason why I brought Val on, not only because he went four and one with orcs, I I firmly believe that he could have gone five and zero, oh, or if there had been six rounds, he could have gone five and one or six and zero. Oh. Uh, Val is a phenomenal player, but he did it with style. He did it with peaches. Who's this giant swig off? Uh, if you follow Val on yes. Facebook, he's got he's got some fun fun pictures 
uh, fun, which he, um, I'll let him explain his list to you a little bit in detail. But Val also played some Heat. He did he did not play in the kiddie pool, uh, so to speak. He he played. Uh, I, how many do you play? Four Chaos players? Three? Uh, actually, I played. Uh, yeah, so I, I played four, and in fact, all of them. I played all the gods. I I played Zeech. Yes. I played a guy. I played Corn, and then I played a Slanesh, and then I played Nurgle, which was Mike. And uh, wrapped it up with Gillen and Gunline. <laughs> yeah, which is so, Mike. Go ahead. Go. I was gonna say that that it, it's funny because you did play those themed guard, those themed lists. But I got to look at all of those lists, and there was nothing fun and fluffy about those lists. Well, the, the, the <laughs> oh, themes list a little bit, maybe. Eh, never mind. The no, it had Magnus. Was, of, of like, aside from Mike's. Actually, well, Mike's and Adams that I played on the last day, which was Gilliman, and then uh, Mike was uh, the Sir Endless Foxwalker Horde. Right. Because Inchless, when I sat down at the table, I was like, oh boy, because it was Magnus, and instead of Mortarian, uh, he had the Lord of Change in it. Yes. So it, it definitely made me pause. Yeah, it, yeah, and the Lord of Change isn't bad. It's not, it's it's okay, but it's not, you know, it's not a super competitive choice, but it's definitely not something you want to underestimate. Uh, you know, it hits a little hard in close combat. If you play Age of Sigmar and you play a lot of uh, the Zinch demon kin, or I think Disciples of Zinch is what they're called, the Lords of Change are equal to Age of Sigmar Lords of Change, right? So they hit really hard. They have good psychic powers, good in close combat, okay in close combat, uh, and that's pretty much it. So yeah. nothing crazy. But Val, tell us about your orc list. Take it away. All right, so uh, coming into it, actually, it was looking like they may not do ITC points, and then they decided to do ITC points. Uh, when it was no ITC points, I immediately said, there's no way in heck I'm running around with 120 boys in that case. So I swapped them out for more toys. I brought uh, about 60 boys, 20 commandos, and four separate units. Snickrot was with them. Uh, I brought a WAP banner for the plus one weapon skill. I uh, sort of buffed the squig because I also had the gargantuan squiggus. Uh, he was an absolute MVP, but right behind him were two big tracks with the super scorcha. Uh, those things uh, are just awesome. They're pretty pricey, but uh, the role they played in my list was essential, and they, uh, I'm really glad I bought two because um, it was hard to shoehorn two in there. Uh, and then that's that's basically it. Oh, except for four weird boys. Four weird boys, of course for the uh, smite action with the orcs. Um, if, there, if he's every orc uh, model within 10 inches of him, so every 10 within 10 gives him a plus one to cast. So they okay. can get the super smite off pretty easily, which is awesome. So Okay, and, and the super smite is not roll two sixes, it's just roll a 12 or higher, a 10 or 11 or higher, something like that? Well, I, think it's, I think it's, uh well, it's, I think on natural dice, it's, you're usually looking for an 11. Um, yes. Because it's 10 or more, I think is what it says. Right. So right. 10 or more, you roll a d6 on the smite. Right, because so, there's certain... Boys. Good. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, because there's certain models. So there's certain models that it, it's different for every model. Like, um, I believe for Grey Knights, it says you need to roll 12, but for another model, I think for... I think for Zinch or for another psychic power, you need to roll two sixes. Like, it specifically says two sixes that you need to roll. Like, you Grey can't... Knights actually... Green Eyes can't super smite, actually. Oh, I was talking uh, about their Vortex of Doom power. I apologize. I was, yeah, I was talking yeah, exactly. about the Green Knight's Vortex of Doom. Uh, but, but essentially, essentially that's, that's, uh, what I was talking about. But go on. Sorry. So, so 
So you get your super smite consistently. Yeah, and it's uh, a lot of guys will run a pain boy there uh, to sort of uh, because what happens is is they uh, other th- cool thing about weird boys is they don't perils on a on a snake guys, but they do perils on anything over twelve. So you don't have to roll box cards; you just have to go over twelve. And if you're getting plus four, plus five, or even you know plus, plus two, whatever, yeah. it's yeah. easy to it's to do uh, the perils. It's, it'll be like forty. It'll be like thirty-four minutes tops, and then that's it. I'll be done. Getting the Pablo realness right now. Sorry, sorry. I had I had some I had some family things. Uh, Fair. But uh, but anyways, um, yeah, that sounds really nasty. It can be. It's but like uh, I came up big in my uh, in, the, in the game I had against a Slanesh player. Um, yeah, it was it, the, the, the smite in general for the orcs is really 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 essential because uh, just you know it's automatic wounds, right? So. And especially if you're able to get those D6s, it's great. In the Mike Twitchell game, it kind of came to bite me in the ass because the plus ones caused me to peril, which then caused the weird boy to blow up, which then killed all the weird boys around him, uh, which uh, was really ruthless. Uh, so, you know, you got to watch out, but, you know, shit, stuff happens. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, one thing, actually, I forgot, to, I forgot to mention to you guys. If you guys want to see Val's list, uh, or if you want to see any of the other wars on Atlantis, I am going to be talking about them. But I, I did—you actually just heard them. Uh, I'm recording this before I recorded the rest of my episode. Uh, but uh, I'm going to—I'm going to uh, repeat this. Sorry, my computer is updating. Sorry, guys. Apologize. Just got a new laptop, and it's—it's—I it's, haven't figured it out yet. Still likes to update randomly. Sorry. Um, but. There are other lists on warzoneatlanta.com. So if you guys Google warzoneatlanta.com and then you guys want to look at other people's lists and follow along with 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 what I'm talking about or what Val's talking about, you guys can go back there. I did actually already mention it previously, so this is just me repeating myself. Uh, but I want to make this crystal clear for anyone tuning in who just skipped and wanted to hear the orc player talk orc stuff. You guys can go yeah. to warzoneatlanta.com and look at Val's list, just like what I'm doing now. The... Uh... And the interesting thing about Warzone Atlanta is they didn't observe, you know, any sort of power level restrictions or anything. So coming into it, like, I was really worried that I was just going to get nuked every game because, you know, there were a few lists out there that were like Magnus, Mortarian, and the uh, Echios or the Super Chicken fella. So, right. like, there were some really heavy hitters. There's a guy with a, what's the 30K Thunderhawk? Uh, Stormbird? The big one? The, the Stormbird? Yeah. The Socar, yeah, Stormbird. Socar Stormbird or something like that. Yeah, that thing is so yeah, there's crazy. Some, there's some intense stuff out there, which, you know, to, to get the result I did, I really needed to get some lucky pairings. And it was a kind of a vintage, vintage submarine. So <laughs> really, really kind of, I got, I got lucky in a lot of ways, certainly. Nice. Now, okay, so, so tell me about your, uh, I have a question about your orc list. First off, big tracks, they're good. Uh, if you're an orc, if you're an orc player, big tracks, they're a forge world vehicle. Uh, I don't know a whole, I'm not super familiar with them. Val can tell you a little bit more, but essentially they're a forge world vehicle. They're really powerful. They got super scorches. Uh, they're tough and mech guns. I'd love to elaborate on that a bit. Um, okay, super go ahead. Scorch, uh, big tracks, there are 15 wounds. They move 14 inches. They can carry six guys. Um, 
And uh, the Super Scorch itself is a 24-inch flamer that's 4D3 shots. So it's an average, you know, somewhere around 8 shots that automatically hit at strength 6, negative 2 AP, and 1 damage. So they're going to be able to kill dev squads really easily. They can uh, they can kill units on objectives. They have crazy range, and they're always underestimated. So uh, especially when they're sitting next to this giant squig, they're usually second in target priority, even though they should probably be number one. So, like, they were really, really handy. Uh, oh. Another key of my list was, was being able to really limit drops. So I was able to get first turn in almost every, well, plus one anyway, and then I wound up with first turn in almost every game, except for one where I didn't want it. And how many how many people, uh, boys can the Squigoth fit in it? So the big squig can take, uh, you can carry 20. Um, the issue the Orcs have is that there's not really much that they have <laughs> that you'd want 20 of inside of a vehicle. Um, so that's why I went with the four units of five commandos, uh, because each one has two burners in it and a knob. So uh, usually if I was putting things in the squig, it was two to three of those units with one of the commandos in reserves. So they can go out and grab an objective. And then uh, you usually fill the rest up with the Wah Banner, Snick Rod, and maybe a couple Weird Boys. So uh, there was a lot of, you know, strength four auto hits coming out of the squig when I needed it. Yeah, that's that's actually really huge. And uh, you brought the mech guns with the custom mega cannon. Oh yeah, that's those are those are great. I I am personally a huge fan of mech guns. They're they're dirt cheap. And one other thing about the big tracks too is that 163 points for uh 14 wounds uh, on an orc vehicle with that super scorcher. It's not bad. It's not bad. And at all. the the, the crazy thing too is they're degrade. They do degrade, but they're they've got a joke of a degrades profile. So I think even on you know, their lowest, uh, their lowest degradation or whatever, they'd be still moving 10 inches and their weapon auto hits. So, yeah. uh, they're, uh, they're just really durable, awesome things. They're great. And one final thing about your list. Uh, you have the Golden Grot, uh, who is your warlord. <laughs> tell yeah. me, tell me about this guy. Did you give up warlord often? Uh, didn't give up warlord once. Wow. So, actually, actually the, um, the, the Golden Grot, so the idea there was I gave Warlord to one of the Grot Gunners on the custom Mega Cannons. And I'll say that actually, by far, I think the, the bigger deal with those guys are the Grot Gunners. So uh, Grot Gunners can only be targeted if they're the closest model to the enemy unit. Yep. Um, so, you know, they're able to, and also they have a really cool deployment shenanigan where they all deploy as models and they have to be within three inches of each other. So you can deploy the grots and the guns out of coherency, so three inches apart, which gives you huge board coverage in your backfield and can really lock, really work well to zone out each strikers um, and uh, really control the backfield with, so that way all your boys and all your toys can be way up front. So they were – the gunners are all-stars. I, I love those things a lot. Right. No, that's really smart. Making – and this is, this is something – you know, I hear a lot of – uh, complaints online about index armies versus codex armies and yes there is a definite power creep and codex armies are in general better than index armies but this is something that i don't see people do a lot and that's you you you're basically you're picking a model that's a lot harder to kill than the rest of your models and making him your warlord instead of taking advantage of those three let's be honest you know underwhelming warlord traits that you get from the generic rulebook Right, because yeah, looking I, at your list, there's yeah. nothing that stands out that really wants that six up the only pain or the plus one attack or 
or the uh, the definitely not the morale. I mean, the morale might kind of be kind of cool on on the Big Mac, really. but yeah, like you said, not really. <laughs> eh, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, orcs are basically you know they they have a lot of leadership buffs just natively. Right. Um, or so it's like also you think about orcs. Uh, I mean, in a lot of other like you know top tier actual good lists. Probably not putting Warlord on someone who's up front beating stuff up, right? They're gonna die. So, especially at Warzone, Warzone uh, was two points for uh, for all the tertiary uh, objectives. So Warlord was two points. So I wanted to keep that away from opponent as much as I could. That's smart. And I did. And then you know, if I was really worried about him, I pop pop that unit of five in a big track, and he's rolling around in his armored car. He doesn't care. Yeah, Stop. they can they can just ditch their mega cannon, like you know. Like oh yeah. we're not a unit yeah. just whatever buy mega cannon sorry I think they yeah. disappear if you if you're more than six inches away or something but uh so they, it's a weird rule they disappear if all grot gunners within six inches six inches are slain so if I just walk away from the gun the gun doesn't die uh if I'm within six and the grot gets killed then the gun dies so but what if weird. you're outside of six and you're slain does that mean the yeah, gun stays fine. But yeah, you... it stays because the grots aren't actually linked to the guns. Right. Uh, which is actually an insight that I got just rereading the index for the thousandth time. Because <laughs> uh, I, yes. I was always deploying them, each unit of five, right next to the guns. But that's not what the rule says. The rule is actually you deploy each them model together. is deployed yes. within three inches. So I can put a gun, then a grot, then a gun, then a grot, then a gun, then a grot, and then like five grots. And then they'd lump up into units of five grots. Uh, so there you yeah. go. Yeah, and I don't know how grot gunners work, but I do know that artillery crews from other units can't fire the same artillery guns as other. Sure. So like, so you couldn't have like one grot shooting all the custom mega cannons. Although that would be so funny. <laughs> uh, it's the hardest the, working grot in artillery. Yeah, <laughs> um, the golden grot. But but it's 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 very brilliant. Uh, I definitely expect some sort of nerf to the artillery crew rule. Uh, it it is a little bit abusive and silly, um, you know, especially when you have when the crew's gun I'm is low, gone. I'm taking every edge I can get, so You're I'm just going right there's, <laughs> there's there's nothing wrong with it. This is a competitive 40k podcast, uh, but I'm just giving a reason for why I think it might be addressed in a future FAQ, though it hasn't been addressed yet. To be fair, uh, chapter approved is coming out, and you know we will we will see where GW goes with it, but. And this isn't a hint. I don't have any inside knowledge or information. I just, I just genuinely think that it is something that that we at Frontline Gaming talk a lot about because it's very silly. It's something the internet talks a lot about. Now, so I think it's something GW might be aware of, um, but they might not, and that depends on the community. But it's for now. I use it. I've used it. I've won games with artillery crew. You've clearly. What are, what are the other? What are the meta artillery crews? Because I've I've actually never heard or seen of any other ones. Well, I, so so I did I did I went five and one uh, at Iron Halo, or f I'm sorry, four and two at hey. Iron Halo. <laughs> oh. um, yeah, yeah, four and two at Iron Halo. Uh, but the our, my artillery crew personally won me two games in that, uh, and the artillery crew yeah. were just you know I just had some rapier, I just had a one quad launcher rapier, and that was it. And those two dudes being essentially characters, better than characters. Uh, helped better than characters. Uh, helped me beat a town. Good. I was just going to point out that, like, so they can only be shot uh, if they're the closest model. Yes. Snipers are obviously the first thing you might think of, but they don't have the character rule. Yep. So they're they're like, it's just great. Yeah. It specifically says specifically calls out characters uh, for models with the sniper rule. 
Uh, and it's, it's pretty cool. And one other interesting character thing to note, while we're on this topic of weird character targeting, shenanigans, silliness, if you play noise Marines and your, your opponent's yeah. noise Marines or your noise Marines die in the assault phase, you can shoot characters because the character rule specifically says in the shooting phase, when targeting characters, you can only target characters if they're the closest model. It specifically says the shooting phase. So yeah, I mean that comes up in the psychic phase a lot too. Yes, right, right, exactly. So so that's that's just something that that if you are uh if you are a rules nerd or a rules lawyer and you you like playing within the confines of the rules, and it might be even if it's even if it's a little a little shady or I maybe mean, not shady but a a little abusive. I don't see a problem with it. That's something that you could definitely use, and I would definitely accept right. it, and I've let opponents use it. Uh, but that's just a, a little trick to be aware of with Emperor's yeah. Children and the banner, the the Space Marine banner as well. Hey, in, the, in my last game against Adam, a cool thing with the banner came up where I was uh, I was nuking his, his – he had a bunch of dev squads. Right. And uh, But he also had the cherubs, which allow you to shoot twice. Uh-huh. And uh and we took a look at all the all the rules and I mean someone on the internet can correct us but it sure looks like you can use the cherub to shoot twice when you're dying because of the banner you know what I'm saying Oh yeah you can so, also the cherub is a model so you can put a wound that cherub has a it is toughness 2 it is strength 2 it has a single wound and you can't put your devastator squad in a rhino you can't put two devastator squads in a rhino sure. with if you yeah. buy the cherubs but that cherub is a model. That's so. If you see people not using cherubs and devastator squads, like please, please just tell them. You know, don't don't be a jerk. Don't tell them to take their devastator squad out uh, because it's it's a relatively obscure thing. But you know, just have them use a base to represent the cherub. And then when they pop the cherub, just take it off. No big deal. Uh, but that cherub, it blocks movement. It, it you can put a wound on it. You know, it stops them from getting into transports because it costs an extra or it counts towards transport capacity. Actually, that's a very that's a very interesting point because it's I guess it would be a space marine character. So I guess you could like I guess cherubs would have like chapter tactics and stuff too. It's just very silly. I don't know. <laughs> I think there are I think there is some words around what what the cherub can and can't do. Uh, orcs have uh, like broad orderlies for the the mechs and like uh, you know the oilers who go with the uh, sorry oilers with the mechs and uh, orderlies with aim boys. Same thing, they take up transport capacity, and you can do stuff with them. Right. It's very interesting. But I'm so yeah. sorry. We'll go back to Val's list. Commandos. I wanted to highlight yeah. those right after the Golden You talked me out of Commandos in the summertime, as I a matter did, of fact. I did. You know, it's it's I, I have a love-hate relationship with Orc players and Commandos. You know, I was, I was talking to <laughs> uh, I was talking to Adam from the, the, Glass, the Glass City GT, and yeah. he he uh, he I told him to use some commandos because he likes them, and they they do they do pro provide some utility that work players desperately need, right? And the, the infiltrating and being able to type units, they can they can bully nerglings and bully cultists, uh, small cultist units, uh, not very well, but they can still do it, and with the knob especially. But yeah. on the flip side, I just I I'm always just extremely underwhelmed by them. At the same time, and I, when I looked at your list, I, th I thought four was too many, but maybe not. What's the perfect amount of commando units, Val? So, I, to be honest with you, I think if I were to write the list again, I would probably go down to three. So, first off, here's here's the the why, why I went with commandos. One, uh, one knob, two burnas, 
is they're both free upgrades. So on a five model unit, you know, you're getting some serious points of not serious, but these you know, a little points efficiency there, uh, and utility from having, you know, some AP weapons and having a knob. Um for the most part, their biggest thing is the fact that they can deep strike, you know, you set up outside of nine anywhere on the board. And uh that's really their value. I mean the fact that I could throw in most games except every game except two of them, uh they were actually all in deep strike reserves. Essentially I would put as many in reserves as I could without losing my plus one to go first. So if the other if the opponent had low drop army, I would keep more commandos back and I had enough transport capacity to do that. Um and then, so essentially, they were just going out, grabbing objectives, uh, and uh, and scoring points, right? So that's really what they're for. Uh, in some cases, they were, yeah, maybe in clearing objective duty. But what are you clearing out? You're clearing out brimstones. You're clearing out nerglings. You are maybe a unit of guardsmen. Stuff that they can handle. So uh, I think they're they're just fantastic. And as far as anything that should go inside, if you're thinking. I really want to bring trucks, which you shouldn't because they cost way too much until December when I'm sure they will be cut in half in points. I hope. They don't know anything. Uh, hmm. The best thing in the world you can put in is a min unit of commandos, two burnas, and a knob. second best thing is two units minimum commandos with two burnas and a knob. So there you go. Yeah, and I don't think they're going to be. I mean, it, uh, GW would be would be a very, very evil corporation if they were to start nerfing orcs um because i mean we don't have their codex yet we don't know anything about orcs uh we know they're probably going to get some of the same generic you know faction tactics that the rest of the armies are getting like they'll probably get like a minus one to hit you know or some sort of like defensive hey. one and you know whatever right I, <laughs> I, I don't care about any of that honestly uh i think orcs are amazing as is uh well not a Amazing is going too far. Totally usable. Uh, maybe if you want to win LVO, don't bring orcs like I will. Uh, but I think you can win games with them. They're crafty. I think the problem is, as with anything, it's people just trying to run across the table and smash face. Well, you're going to lose that a lot of the time. you got to be you gotta be shifty. you got to be um, cunning but brutal, bro. Cunning but brutal. And I, chapter approved, I mean, if, if they get the, the Chaos Space Marine treatment, if a power clock goes to 12 points... My commandos will have power clauses at a big choppers. Uh, you know, if, if, if they get the 20% across the board points reduction that, that like craft world basically got, I mean, you're going to see all kinds of stuff in the orc lists, uh, become certainly useful and viable, including things like trucks. Battle wagons are a tough sell right now. They're slow, expensive. So points coming down will be a boon for orcs because a lot of their toys are just a bit too pricey. Like a Dakajet, if a Dakajet came down 20, 30 points, that is a crazy good model, man. Like, if there was no Forge World in this ter- tournament, I would, uh, instead of those big tracks, I'd be running, uh, you know, Dakajets, so. Right on. Anyway. Alright, so. Orcs talk. So, Orcs, guys, they're, they're, they're packing some serious heat. Tell me about your games. You, you <laughs> did play Chaos four times. You played four Chaos Space yeah. lists, or Chaos lists. Uh, tell me, tell me about guess, that, because yeah. that's a, that's a meta army that people have a hard time dealing with. For sure. Um, so going into the weekend, like I said, I was actually kind of scared because I lugged this giant squig off with me, and I realized that you know everyone out there is going to have you know Magnus Mortarian, and my thinking was, well shit, I'm going to run into people who are ready to kill Magnus Mortarian, 
In my warm-up game, I played a guy who brought three Predators and kill shot at my gargantuan squigas in one, in basically turn one. So, <laughs> I figured that was going to happen every game. I was saying to people over under, you know, one time I get to combat. But then the reality was, the units running Magnus and Mortarian, or, you know, uh, you know, those big heavy character lists don't have a lot of heavy shooting. So, I was free to move the squig, uh, about, and also able to screen him really well so that he was able to charge in most cases. If he gets charged, he's going to die. He doesn't have an involve. You know, anything that's really big and swinging at him, Martarian's going to destroy him probably in one round. You know, like, he's 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 vulnerable to being charged, but if you screen him right, it's good. So, in my first turn, in my first game, I had uh, Magnus. I uh, had Fate Weaver up against me. Um, and then basically a lot of Brims and some other things. And uh, essentially what happened there is he, he had slightly bad target priority coming in. He only tar- charged one unit of boys. I had two units screening. Uh, he could have gotten both with Magnus, and I was able to counter-charge with the Squig, and the Squig ate Magnus. It was awesome. Also, weird boys were there. They took a lot of uh, wounds off them with Smite, so that was kind of it. What uh, what made the difference in that game, I didn't get max points. I actually kind of just got a little bit better than a draw in the first game, was that he kept rolling really well on his invulns with Fady. So Fate Weaver survived probably three three rounds of combat, maybe four, with the Squig. And that tied him down, and I wasn't able to go and, and get his brims, which were holding objectives. Um, so I wasn't able to max the points, which turned out well, because then I, you know, I didn't get paired with like a heavy heater in the second second round. Nice, that's good. Can I just keep rambling? Say that again. Should I keep going? Yeah, keep going, man. Let's see your round two. Uh, round two was uh, against a guy who was playing corn. Uh, and, uh, so it was, again, it was a beautiful army. He had these, like, weird spider things that were corn demon engines of some kind that were, like, just blenders in combat that he had out front. Uh, and he had three berserker units inside of rhinos. I think the hardest thing to kill in 40k is a friggin' rhino. I, I don't know what it is about those things. You can shoot them with your best stuff, and they will always wind up with three wounds if they're filled with berserkers. Um... So, uh, basically in that one, I think, uh, the, the, the cool thing that happened there was we were in Hammer and Anvil. That's the lengthwise one, right? Yeah. 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 So we're in Hammer and Anvil, and I set up, um, kind of with a, kind of a slightly balanced, but a little bit more to the right side where there were two relics. It was a neat mission where you had to, there were three relics and you had to bring them into your opponent's deployment zone. So I shaded my, my squig to the one with the two relics on it. And I had a big unit of boys and some other stuff that could move on the left side. And I basically redeployed using the jump to the right side. So half of his army was kind of left, including a giant bloodthirster, was kind of left stranded uh, while I was able to focus on the two relics on the other side. Uh, and also, he was running into my artillery and, uh, you know, just kind of got beat up on the way in, which was fantastic. The squig was, a, again, <laughs> lights out awesome. Uh, he, uh, so the big squig, in case people don't know, when he charges on a two up, he does D6 mortal wounds to any unit within an inch of him. So if there's a character there, if there's, uh, more than one unit, you know, he's dealing out a lot of mortal wounds on the charge. That's before he swings. Once he swings, he's hitting on threes if he's at full. He's, uh, strength 12. He does D6 wounds and it's neg 4 AP. So he's a pretty mean dude in combat too. Yes. Uh, toughness 8, 35 wounds. Four up save, no involve. So, 
Uh, as long as I got to the, the, the Berserkers first, I figured I had a good chance. He ate two units of Berserkers, three exalted champions. It was awesome. Um, and the guy I was playing was a really good guy, but he, uh, he unfortunately just kind of got, he got a little out Fox there, but whatever. I felt really cool. I don't know how smart it actually was. <laughs> third game, third game was, uh, uh, kind of a weird list. I don't know. You saw it. It was, uh, it was Slanesh themed. And in true Warzone fashion, uh, he didn't leave his house without, uh, the, the Forge World version of the, the Slanesh Greater Demon. I don't know her name. Beautiful uh, model. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous model. Um, um <laughs> and no slouch, no slouch in combat either. No. Um, and was warp timed up to the front of my lines. Uh, but he, he was an orc player. He said he's been playing orcs for 30 years. So he knew all my tricks. He didn't even look at my army list. He's like, yeah, I got this. And, um, not, not like super cocky. He just, he knew what my stuff did. And, um, the thing is, he forgot that I had the four weird boys in the squig. So she was the only thing right up in my lines on turn one. Uh, I gave him the first turn because he had no shooting. And, um, so the weird boys got out. They were surrounded by other boys and they just super smited her uh, down to about one wound. And I can't honestly remember. I think it, she met a really ignoble end. Like maybe a guy was a, a slug that killed her or like my <laughs> mech, my big mech biker with his like six stack of blasters or whatever killed her. So like, he was kind of dumbfounded after that, and uh, and then I was able to kill all of his chariots pretty quickly, uh, and the squig got into combat with uh, with a demon prince and a, and the keeper of secrets, and he just crushed him. Uh, it was really awesome, and I just rolled him up. Um, so I think there he just got. I think essentially what happened there was he he didn't think about the weird boy scenario and uh, and left left his uh, his big model out to dry and. And that sort of cost him a lot. Oh, Fourth game was okay. overnight. This is this so is stop? okay. You, you said when you say overnight, do you mean do you mean like so? Explain that. No, I mean like it, it's the first game of the second day. Okay, all right. I was, yeah, yeah. So so day one's over. You're three and zero. Oh, you just played Corn. You just played Slanesh. You just played Zinch. Waiting for the yeah. old Papa Nurgle to show up, uh, and. You, I don't know how pairing works. I know they didn't use Best Coast pairings this year, but uh, you, I'm assuming you got your pairings the day before, and you had all night to look at his list. Yes, it was straight pair. It was straight battle pairings. Okay. Um, so it was just you know whoever's battle score was closest to you, and is who you got paired up with. If it was uh, tied, they just did random, random numbers. But it was pretty obvious. I was in 11th, I think, by battle points at this point. This was a big goal for me. Just in going to GTs was actually getting to a 3 and 0 day. Never done it before. So I was already like, wow, like really, really happy with how the day went. And again, like I was saying before, just the way the pairings worked out, I had lists that I could hang with. I didn't draw any guard lists. You know, I didn't draw something that could do the, the kill shot on my squig. So I was pretty happy. Um, but yeah, so Mike Twitchell, um, who's, uh, renowned in that, in that area, you know, you hear him referenced on other podcasts. Uh, still, he's a good guy, and he certainly is. Um, but he's running this endless Foxwalker list, which is really cool. And um, and uh, actually, there was a when the when the Death Guard Codex came out, I guess someone got hip to it immediately. And uh, there's a really cool article if you want to see how the list kind of works. Uh, essentially, there's a stratagem for Foxwalkers. 
if they kill stuff in the fight phase uh, that are enemy units, they already add to their unit. That's just sort of one of the things Boxwalkers do. Yes. The stratagem allows them to add to their unit when anything within seven dies in any phase. Yes. So you can so they basically you can do a a cultist boxwalker sandwich and basically swell up your boxwalkers as the cultists die. Yeah. The other thing going into that game that I was really concerned about was uh, the other half of his army was Alpha Legion. So Alpha Legion cultists should be known at this point for their shenanigans and they're super versatile. Uh, both boxwalkers and cultists can basically get buffed up by chaos shenanigans uh, that uh, you know get them to the equivalent of an orc boy in combat pretty much they can get real nasty they can deploy anywhere they can come back uh, or rise from the dead so yeah there's a lot of cool things going on there so I gamed I reached out to the Facebook network uh, chatted with some great players about what I could do I had a really good game plan going in and uh, so I'm going to go a little bit in detail here so I, I thought really hard about my deployment how I want to handle it and in this game, it was kill points, and then relic was secondary. Oh no! Uh, and I, and then I assumed he was just going to park a ton of stuff right on the relic. Well, Mike is a smart guy. He saw how I deployed, which was uh, I made sure everything was three inches back because he also had um, I guess they're Blightlord Terminators. Oh yeah, those are those are Combi nasty too. With combi plasma, they got a four up involved. They got disgustingly resilient. They're really cool. Um, so, but my big thing there was I was worried he was going to drop, double shoot, overcharge with his Chaos Lord behind, reroll ones, do a bunch of stuff, kill the squig. So I wanted to keep him outside of, of double tap range with a screen. I used my boys up front as that screen. Problem is, boys only move five inches, and they're right across my deployment zone. We were hammer and anvil again. And uh, when I moved up my big tracks, to nuke the unit of 20 noise marines that he had, which was, like, really essential, <laughs> uh, I was one inch short. No. My boy, uh, that wasn't the end of the game by any means. It was just, it's one of those things where when you're playing a good opponent, you know, you, you, you can't make mistakes like that. And that was a, a mistake I made for sure. Uh, so the next thing I did was, because um, I did get first turn, which was, again, essential, so I'm in the game. Because once it gets to his turn, he's going to pop all of his stratagems, and I can't really kill stuff because it'll add to the Poxwalkers. Um, so uh, it was really key for me to get in there and kill as much as I could. So one trick I love to use when I'm jumping boys is the other thing besides Smite that the Orcs have that's really handy is Warpath. And Warpath is just plus one attack for a unit within six of the Psyker. So I got Warpath off on, on the unit of boys that was blocked, that were blocking my big tracks, jumped them within nine. So we're looking at, I don't know, it's like 28 orcs. So, you know, that times five. So a hundred something attacks. Uh, his lines are all packed together because you have the cultist plague walker sandwich. Reasonably, I could take out the 40 cultists and probably the boxwalkers. So I'm really pumped. I then roll my, my charge. I roll a six and a one. I reroll the one. It was a two. So I came up short on the charge. My boys are standing there. They then become fox walkers. Uh, some other stuff goes down. But that was that was pretty much the game. Uh, I think any player will tell you if your plan involves one dice roll working out for you. Uh, at best, that play was a 50-50 shot at winning that game. 
I think uh, if I were to go back to the drawing board, I'd try and come up with something that gave me a better chance to win than that. So there you go. So he uh, it was a great game, and it, and it kept going. Um, the big squig almost made a glorious charge into the Blight Terminators. It wouldn't have really mattered for the game, but it would have been cool. He, he came up short. He actually survived the whole game, um, even against all the plasma, getting into combat with those Terminators eventually because they charged him. Uh, it's one of the few times the squig got charged instead of being charged, uh, making the charge. Um, later on, late in the game, which actually comes in as far as my final standings are concerned, I made another, a second sort of tactical error. Because it was battle points, not win the loss, uh, it you kind of like how the new ITC points missions work. It encourages you to max your score as best you can, because even if you lose, you're still getting points. So I wound up with two points in the game, but I had a shot at the Relic, and I jumped some boys in to get the Foxwalkers, who are now holding the Relic, but I got cute. I tried to also charge the Noise Marines behind to lock them up so they couldn't shoot me. Uh, the problem is I forgot about what Foxwalkers do, because... I forgot that in the fight phase, even if they don't have the stratagem, they're adding to their unit, and that was that was the real game over. At that point, I was, you know, pretty much getting blanked, and I wound up, I think, getting, uh, I got line breaker. That was my two points. So that was, uh, that was, uh, I said on Facebook, that was the mom spaghetti moment. I, <laughs> I was nervous. I was, uh, and, uh, and I, and I, I had my moment, and I didn't own it. Um, I think Mike then moved into eight battle points wise with that win. So, um, I don't know how we wound up finishing, but, uh, it's a great game. Uh, and then, uh, the final game, I got paired against one of my, I'm, you know what, screw it. I'm going to plug this because I think your listeners would love it. It's called the Best Generals Podcast. It's done by, uh, Adam Abramowitz. He does a lot of X's and O's type stuff. And the premise is he wants to win Warzone Atlanta. That's what it's about for him. Uh, and he wants to win it next year. So it's this journey about becoming a better player. Um, nice. So Adam and I have, just like me and Pablo here, you know, talked a lot on Facebook, and uh, so it was crazy to get paired against him. Uh, and he was just coming off a pretty bad loss against Horton Doughton, another awesome guy you hear on podcasts a lot, really great corn-loving player. Um, and uh, so we were both sort of hungry to, to end it on a high note. Unfortunately, Mr. Abramowitz was pretty tuckered out, and uh, I think when he uh, set up his, his gun line, so he was running Gilliman, Three units of devs with heavy bolters and last cannons, line of conscripts to screen, two storm ravens, um, and uh, you know some other cool doodads like uh, you know rattlings, um, yeah, things like that, and primary psychers. He had 84 reserve uh, points, so he could return his conscripts again. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So this was actually one of the like when I saw it was Adam, I was like, whoa, wicked! I get to play Adam, and then I thought immediately, shoot, this is the list that I was worried about. <laughs> so this list that can that can kill the squig in one round, and uh, what happened was kind of crazy. So I uh, first of all, so many things had to happen right for for this and for me and terribly for Adam. So what happened was first thing, deployment maps were randomized. This is a wicked, wicked thing. I love random deployment maps. ITC uses them now. I I wish you could re-roll it in ITC, but that's fine. Um, uh, so random deployment, I wind up on Spearhead, uh, which is, I think, whatever the other one is, you know, just straight up Dawn of War, but you have an 18 inches, 18 inches between deployment zones, that one. So the squig spit up, set up right in the spear tip. I didn't screen him. I was just, I was going for broke. Gilliman was set up behind a line of conscripts across the way. 
Um, and then uh, Big Squig, he takes off. Uh, he goes to full 10. Uh, I do my shooting, which was pretty devastating against guys who run the Devastator. Ha ha. Uh, <laughs> Devastator uh, style uh, gun line. Because yuck, yuck. <laughs> those, uh, the Big Scorches are strength six. I can auto hit all those devs. So I, I was able to kill a bunch. They didn't do much to me in return with the with the banner shooting. Uh, I then rolled almost the exact same thing. So I rolled a six and a two uh, with the squig to get into combat. Um, and uh, and this time though, I re-rolled it and I got a five, which was huge because the the, the five allowed me to get that much closer to Gilliman, who was just you know an eighth of an inch too far up. And that's basically it. So I got to the conscript that was closest to him, and I just got him by the tusk, like just the tip of the tusk. The uh, the the mortal wounds were a joke. I actually rolled a one for one of the first times, and then uh, the other guy who was within an inch was a primary psyker, and I only did one mortal wound to him. Uh, but then I was able on the pile in, and there are a bunch of great articles out there right now. Uh, a guy named Steve Pamperine did one on the ITC. Uh, sorry, on the, for, on the Frontline Gaming website about the charge phase and just how pilot mechanics work and all that kind of stuff. It's fantastic. Uh, Beast Coast is doing some good articles on it now. Read up on them because what I could do, because I didn't base them, I was able to swing around just by the tip of his tusk and get within one of Gilliman. And then disaster struck for Mr. Abramowitz. Uh, <laughs> I got four wounds on him at the end of all the rolling. Uh, and he failed three of his three up involves. I rolled, uh, 14 wounds. Oh, man. Gilliman died. Uh, Gilliman dies, and then, uh, in his turn, he failed, uh, to bring him back to life on the reroll. Jeez. So at that, you know, I just gutted his, the basically key to his list, and that should real like, even if I get this quick there, that shouldn't happen. Like, I should have done D6 wounds to him, but it's a dice game, so that's, that's, that happens. <laughs> yeah, and and, um, and then the Storm Ravens came in. I think he was a bit upset, so he poured everything he could into the into the squig, trying to kill it with the Storm Ravens, <laughs> and the squig tanked it. I thought I thought he was going to get really hurt, uh, but he was down to maybe half wounds after both of them, and that opened them up to being hit with a bunch of smites and all that. I killed another Storm Raven second turn, and basically I think by turn four he was tabled. Uh, wow. Which is not what you'd expect when, when you see those two armies lining up. It was pretty cool. But, again, friggin' miracle. <laughs> miracle Hail Mary. Uh, miracle Hail, Hail Mary to, to do that. And it was actually a lesson I learned playing uh, Diogo, of all people. I had Zardsnark set up for a charge on Gilliman, and I chose not to do it. And after the game, he's like, man, if you ever ever shot at Gilliman, you kill him. Or at least try to kill him, Like even if you might not. If you do, you gut those lists. Yes. Like those, it really got itself. So. Yeah. I don't yeah. know what the people in that off are, but it was it was the hell mary I needed. I didn't yeah. get it in the Twitchell game. I got it in the Bramwich game. So there yeah. you go. And and one thing I, I do hear a lot of complaining about Gilliman online, but Diogo and as you now know, uh, Diogo is correct in that if you get a chance to charge and kill Gilliman, you should always do it because he is. He is very, very hard to shoot and kill, unlike Magnus and Mortarian, yeah. who mostly die from shooting. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen Magnus and Mortarian just get turn one charged and demolished. That doesn't happen very often. Uh, sure. But with shooting... We got a lot uh, more defense. What was that? 
sorry, that just those those boys, especially outside of the first turn, they have a lot more defense. They do. Like Mortarian can go up to T8. Uh, you know, Magnus gets down to three plus re-rolling ones, so... Right, yeah. but other than the character roll and the nine wounds, Gilliman has nothing going for him defensively. I guess he's got a three of Invuln. That's pretty good. And also he gets back to life. But the point is, yeah. is that even when he gets back to life, you, you know, they're, they're spending a re-roll to get him back up, and then they probably won't spend a re-roll to see how many wounds he has. So usually, in my experience, Gilliman's actually really easy to kill. Uh, he, he, if you, if you kind of randomly, he kind of randomly dies. I don't think I've ever seen someone gun for him and made it obvious, and then I, like, they like Gilliman died. It always just kind of happens naturally and organically. Like, oh, Celestine has a charge on Gilliman and gets in and gets lucky, and then I've got some bolters, and oh, all of a sudden he's dead. Uh, or, or you know, I'll just tag Gilliman with this Corn Berserker charge and put, like, 20 attacks into him, or whatever, right? It, but yeah. the, the things that kill Gilliman are hard-hitting close combat units, with multiple damage attacks and smite spam. Smite spam destroys Gilliman. Gilliman wants to be sure. in your face. Wow. Uh, you know, obviously you didn't kill him with weird boys, but smiting Gilliman is, is something that kills Gilliman very easily. And you should always kill him. That's that's pretty much it. Especially with a list yeah. like this that relies on him. You know, this there's no scouts. Uh, there's no there's no predators, assault cannon, razorbacks. You know, it's just the devastators and the storm ravens. And that's pretty much all his shooting. That's there's nothing. And yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it. You got Saint Celestine there, I, but you know. I think uh, the odd thing. Oh yeah, he had the Saint. Uh, she came in and got dispatched by the Squig too. <laughs> um, but uh, we don't need to get into what happened to the poor Saint. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I guess maybe you want Gilliman up a little bit. I mean, you run the. I mean, right at the start of Aether, you ran that on the stream. The uh, actually, I watched. Reese repeatedly say, uh, this isn't what normally happens. This isn't what normally happens when he was playing orcs for the first time against your... Uh, oh, that was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> <He's>... um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I don't know if people tend... I don't, I don't know if it's a tendency. I, won't, I haven't played Gilliman a ton, but I don't see why he wouldn't be, like, tucked way back. Like, there's no real reason to have him up on the Vanguard like that if he's there to buff, you well, know? Well, it depends on your list. Buff, he probably be buried. Right. So so it, it depends entirely on your list. Like so with this list, with Adam's list, he only has five units that take advantage of Gilliman's reroll to hit into wound. And it, you know, if if I make, make a little critique if Adam's listening to this podcast, uh the company ancient is kind of a waste of points here in that it's only benefiting twelve models, really. And nine of them are heavy bolters, and heavy bolters with the the standard of the Emperor Ascendant aren't amazing. You know, they're not, they're, you know, they're not, they're okay. Like, being able to fire a last cannon again after it dies, like, that's kind of cool, sure. You know, maybe you'll snipe out a character, or you'll put an extra damage on tanks, but it, the standard of the Emperor's in it works really, really well with things that when they shoot, when this single model shoots, it will wreck something, like uh, last cannon centurions when they shoot two shots, or multiple last cannon devastators, right? Uh, that that's where it really shines, and when there's a bunch of them too, even bolters, right? So you saw how good noise marines were when they die; they get to shoot again. If you have oh, yeah. like 20 tactical marines or or uh, plasma hellblasters, the primaris hellblasters, you know, and they're all surrounded around uh, a, a, a an ancient, you, and you start killing them because you need to. That's when they start getting really nasty. Um, but 15 yeah. total models that can use the ancient ability, there's just it's not a good use of the points. Uh, and the reason why I'm bringing all this up is because he has the Storm Ravens, which want to move up 
and eventually start sniping things in the back. Eventually, that's what Storm Ravens are meant to do. They're meant to sit back, kill the things, and then when they need to, use their mobility to win you the game and go out and win you the game. So when you have a list like that, Gilliman wants to be in the front line. It's just naturally going to happen. You know, Celestine's going to move down a flank. Gilliman has is eventually those Devastators are going to die. They're very easy to kill. And you want them to die anyways because of the standard of the Emperor Ascendant. So you're already encouraging your opponent to kill your Devastators. And when those Devastators die and those Storm Ravens move up, Gilliman's pretty much alone in your backfield buffing Conscripts, which is something you don't want. And they're Valhallen Conscripts, so they might die and come back somewhere else. So you want Gilliman to move up in this kind of list. Uh, which I think is, after playing with Gilliman so many times, I think I think he's best used in the back behind a bunch of deep strikers, buffing a, a gun line base, and then protecting yeah. it. And that's it. So, like, Peaches never should have gone into Gilliman's face in the first place. Like, Gilliman, can't, Gilliman needs to be the last resort, not the first line of defense, is essentially... Yeah, and well, to be honest with you, he was... He was trying to screen him, and it's just like it's like what I did in my in my fourth game with the boys line. So my boys line. <laughs> uh, sorry, there I got cut off for a second, and I was just going to say that he was doing his best to screen. He just sort of you know had them a little bit too close, and and that and that does happen. Um, and he's also had success with that particular list. So hey, I don't know. A lot of people would criticize me spending eighty points on the wall banner. But, you know, I feel like getting that plus one weapon skill on, on the big squig or on a unit of boys is really valuable. So there you go. No, and and there's no no shot to add. Adam, you know, run whatever list you want. That's, that's one of the beautiful things about 8th edition that I don't think is emphasized enough is you can run whatever list you want. And as long as you know it really well and you play to the mission, you have a reasonable chance of doing well, even, even with the quote-unquote worst armies like Dark Eldar and Death Watch, right? So... That aside, I I do I, it is kind of a bummer that that you know the inner ultramarine in me inside is is ashamed in a Gilman losing to such an ugly beast. You know, he... <laughs> uh, well, you know, you've called Peaches ugly a bunch of times. I just want to say that I really almost named him Pablo, <laughs> and, uh, and I'm and I'm glad that I I went with Peaches because he was he was a hit at the party. It was great. Oh yeah, I love uh, I love Peaches. It's great. Uh, all right, Val. So we're gonna go ahead and call it here, guys. For those of you who sure. want to hear more from Val, uh, he is not on a podcast, although he is very, very active in the community. If you go over to the 40k competitive page, he is frequently on there. You want to call him out and ask him a question, or maybe PM usually, him. He's usually pretty responsive. Usually making to the wrong rules call on that, on that one. Sometimes. Usually. But if you want to reach out to Val, he he not only he doesn't just play orcs, he plays Tau. He, I think you have a Chaos Army too, right? No, no, I have Grey Knights, and I've and I've got a beautiful Elysian Army in my closet that needs to be painted. So there you go. There you go. But Val is the guy. Val Heffelfinger, if you see him, mm-hmm. the famous, not the famous soccer player, but the famous orc player. And there's a Heffelfinger soccer player. I think so. I don't know. I think he's it's a while ago. Heffel, Pudge Heffelfinger was the first pro football player, my man. Oh football player so when you say there football you player you mean like american football so you're not one of those yeah, and he went to yale he went to yale he was like he's just a really i don't know how he wound up being the first guy that someone was inspired to pay money to play football but pudge Heffelfinger, look him up first pro football player ever perhaps the most important of all time right and and i just assumed by football you meant soccer because you're not american there you go but that that no, no, we cleared uh, that up i learned something today 
I, le- I learned that. And I need to check my fantasy teams because no one follows soccer and the NFL is what everyone watches. Yeah. In Canada. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I- I'm kind of bummed uh, about my game, but you know I had a good time. I had a good time beating people up. I with foam swords. It was a lot of fun. For those of you who don't know. Uh, hey. But but yeah, thanks very much for coming on. Thank you guys once again for listening to Chapter Tactics. You guys are the best listeners and, uh, ever. If I could give one one quick shout-out, I'd just love to cut you off and I'm going to let you finish. But I just want to say that Warzone Atlanta was a really awesome time. If uh, they're looking to expand next year, if any of you guys are interested in going down, the TO is a guy named Kelly. He's awesome. They've got a big staff there. Uh, all the hype is real. It's a really wonderful group of guys, and uh, and uh, yeah. So if you can make it out to Warzone, please do. And uh, but more importantly, get to the LVO because that's next. Oh my gosh, Renegade Open's coming. There's a lot of like I mentioned last podcast, the Renegade Open, last big huge event, and then the, the LVO, Las Vegas Open, the big daddy of them all. Also, Ooh. one more shout out, Forge the Narrative. Those guys put on a good show at Warzone Atlanta yeah. all the time. Listen to them and. Val's right. Go to Wars on the Land if you're in the area. It's one of the big you, events in the South. And if you want to hear about the, the hotness, uh, not, the, not the hilarious uh, squeaker list that I was running, uh, Andrew Whitaker uh, and Colin Ward are both friends of the podcast there. So uh, I'm sure this week they're going to be talking at length about how those games went and how Andrew did what he did. He ran a really exactly the type of list that would have rocked my world. Uh uh, guard list uh, with beautiful Vostorian conversions, a bunch of rough riders. It was wacky. It was awesome. Uh, so probably tune in this week if you want to hear the details on that. All right. Thanks very much for listening, guys. Have a good one. Later.